Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host Alex Metzger, along with me is my co-host Chase McCallum, and we are back with another pretty busy week of news. Uh, I hope everyone enjoyed the episode last week, which was a very jam-packed episode uh, between obviously the massive William Nylander contract extension, as well as our uh, interview with Garrett Hole. I hope everyone enjoyed that as much as we did recording it, Um, but we're back with uh, some more news and Honestly, let's just kick it off with uh, one of the older pieces of news, but it, it broke after we had recorded last week. And I think it kind of ties into something we talked about briefly last week that we can maybe expand on a little more. Uh, the Chicago Blackhawks made another signing. This time it is Jason Dickinson getting a two-year deal at $4.25 million, $8.5 million total. Uh, obviously, last week we briefly spoke about the Nick Felino deal uh, where he signed two years at $4.5 million per year, $9 million total. Um, again, it's pretty clear to me that they are leaning into this whole stability and veteran presence and stuff like that. And, um, obviously I I think the one smart thing about this is they are very clearly realizing that the second that Connor Bedard's ELC is up is when they need every single cent of cap space they can get, uh, because that is what all of these contracts, uh, kind of align to, but much like the Corey Perry deal. I get that things such as leadership and stability are important, but if this is the price tag of Corey Perry, Nick Foligno deal, sorry, um, Corey Perry was on the top of this cap friendly sheet, uh, but much like the Nick Foligno deal, if this is the cost that it costs to keep both Dickinson and Foligno in Chicago, I am so convinced you can find other leaders for half as cheap and you could probably find guys take an asset on to go get them. Yeah, I would think so. I would be shocked if in a league where everyone's broke, you couldn't do this cheaper. And I think, like, again, I get there is something to be said about wanting to have guys who want to be there, right? Want to be part of the rebuild. Because I, I do understand that, like, one of the the maybe worries that you may have of getting a guy that is just purely salary dumped or whatever is you're not going to get someone who wants to be there. And maybe it's a negative in the room, but there's got to be some give and take with that where you need to take a little bit of a risk. Like they gave both of these guys, they gave Nick Foligno a $500,000 raise on his current salary, which he was already overpaid, but everyone understood it was fine because it was a one-year deal. They gave Jason Dickinson almost a $2 million raise. And like, he's having a fine year, but like, there just seems like, I get they have tons and tons of cap space, but there still seems like better ways to use it. And you should always have cap space free in in case something comes up. Yeah, 100% in case something comes up. Like, maybe by the final year of Bedard's ELC, you want to be good. That's probably mm-hmm. roughly when you should be targeting anyways. I I don't know if they're going to have the pieces to do that. They obviously um, got their cornerstone much earlier than they probably expected and most teams do, but still, like, I don't know. Even if you don't want to be, like, good, it can be just out of the lottery or whatever, right? And, yep. like, every year we see guys just like Taylor Hall, like they picked up last year, where... It's a guy that the teams like, you know, Jordan Eberle is another name that comes to mind, which Seattle did, where 
you pick up a guy who's a good solid, like middle six, second line forward, maybe low end first line forward, and and you get him for dirt cheap. You know, um, Max Pacioretty is another name. Borgstrand's another great example. Like there's every year there's people like that. It's like, I'm not saying they can't do that now, but it just, it limits your ability a little bit. And everyone goes, well, they got to hit the cap floor. They got to hit the cap floor. It's like, okay, but again, like, I just feel like there was better ways they could have done this. And they're also, go ahead. Yeah. I I mean, they have a lot of expiring people, but like they're, I don't think the cap floor is going to be a problem. The entire league is broke. Like the demand is much greater for cap space than to be punting money. Yeah, exactly. And like their cap sheet is absolutely hilarious. Right now, healthy forwards before these Felino and Dickinson extensions, UFA, UFA. Philip Kurashev has another year at 2.25. Ryan Donato has another year at two. Then it goes UFA, UFA. Six RFAs, a UFA, and two more RFAs on their forward core. On the defense, two UFAs, three RFAs, and then Kevin Korshinsky and uh, Seth Jones as well. Um, they do have Taylor Hall, obviously, on IR right now, so his $6 million will kick in next year. Connor Murphy's on IR. His 4.4 will be there next year. And Andreas Athanasiu is 4.25 next year. So they have $15.5 million already extra on this roster. With the 13 that they now have committed onto the forwards, that's, you know, $28 million plus another 10.4 on the defense. Like you're at almost, you're at $40 million basically um, for the roster already. Like I just, yeah, like I don't think the salary floor would have been that hard to hit. Um, And the other thing is too, I just don't understand the rush to get these deals done. Yeah. Yeah. I Hitting the salary floor is not. No, because there's no world in which giving money away will ever be a difficult thing to do. Exactly. It's an absurd concern. Yeah. Like, let's say the draft passes and you didn't get near as much as you thought. Like, you know, people just weren't really willing to part with what they have. Maybe they don't like the free agent class or whatever. If you offer either of Jason Dickinson or Nick Felino this deal the day after the draft and or like the day before free agency, or I guess the, as, sec, as soon as free agency hits because they would technically be gone or whatever, but like the last second that you can, that they're still part of your team, they accept it right away. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. And if it's the second year, I really dislike to agree. Like I'd rather six by one for both of them. Yeah, absolutely. And like, again, I don't think this, like the second year in all likelihood won't play an impact. Yeah. But, but it might. It, it's yeah, it's just the fact that there is a chance that makes it just kind of unnecessary, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, it's not the end of the world. It's just unneeded. Agreed. And, you know, that's kind of just how I feel about both these deals. Um, I mean, like Dickinson's having an all right year. I, but again, like he's the type of player you should be trading to acquire, like someone giving you a fourth to go acquire because they just simply can't afford him. If this Jason Dickinson contract was on, on on another team, he would be the perfect name that we would be like, you should be trying to trade. Exactly. A hundred percent. And the and they did it just from Vancouver yourself. already. Yeah. Yeah. I I just I don't know. I I understand there is something to be said about having the leadership, having the stability, but there's gotta be a price that comes appropriate with that as well, where it's like well, we, they don't. They have the cap space, so what's it matter? It's like okay, but like 
if these guys are such good leaders and want to be a part of the future or whatever, you shouldn't have to overpay them by like two and a half million dollars per season. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. It's again, not the end of the world. Like I, I would be pretty surprised if they seriously, seriously miss out on anything huge because of these deals, but it just kind of feels like one of those things where, yeah, there was probably a better way to use this money or, even just a better time to do this deal. Like, or as you said, like a one year, $6.5 million extension for Nick Foligno makes more sense than two years at 4.5 to me. Yeah. Comfortable. So, um, yeah, I, I don't really have a ton more to say on that, but yeah, me either. It'll be interesting to see where they keep going forward. I guess like, I mean, with how many injuries they have, they are in prime position to get another very top, uh, draft pick again this year yeah and i would think so they gotta be one of the favorites to get the 101 yep i it would be them and um San Jose. San Jose. like pretty comfortably i'm guessing i'm just pulling up the the standings quickly here as we talk um in the west they have 30 points in 47 games san jose has 28 and 47 uh, the next team is Anaheim with 31 and 46. Anaheim's very sneaky down there as well. I didn't realize quite how bad yeah. that was. That's um, not a great situation there. Yeah. And then the next team is Ottawa with 35 and 42. Um, so you already take like a five-point jump, which, I mean, we'll get to Ottawa in a second. But uh, And then Columbus with 37 and 45. So I guess like, yeah, it's between Anaheim, Chicago, and San Jose for the best odds at the, the top pick. And of those three teams, I think Chicago and San Jose are basically on level playing field right now, assuming that Bedard will be out for another month or two. Yep. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, with Bedard back, I think it pretty clearly goes San Jose's probably got the best odds, Chicago next, and then Anaheim after that. Yeah, I would agree with that. Quick aside, do you want to guess what San Jose's goal differential is right now? Oh, God. I'll give you on just a reference season? point on the season. Anaheim Ducks are minus 44. Are they double digit or triple digits? They're not quite triple digits. No. Is it like minus 75? Minus 91. That's insane. So there's a very good chance by the all-star break, the time all-star break rolls around, they are triple digits. That's hilarious. The The Chicago Blackhawks are minus 64 goal differential. But yeah, just like. Some incredibly poor teams, um, which, okay, one other point then about the Dickinson and especially the Felino part of it, again, fine, have the, those types of guys on the roster as well. But again, like, if you want to surround Bedard with, like, the right guys, quote-unquote, and stuff, I still think you should be going to target more of the Taylor Hall-type players, whether that's free agency or trade, so that you actually give him some talent to work around as well, because... I just don't really see the value in having guys like Felino and Dickinson being great in the room or whatever if the team is a minus 70 goal differential by the All-Star break. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. And and obviously that's okay this year. Like, everyone knew this team was going to suck this year. But, like, going forward, you don't want that to happen. Like, there, it's got to be – it's a pretty quick turnaround of, like, when you actually want to start being good again, I would assume. Or not, not, yeah. good, not even, sorry, not even not good, but just, or not even good, just like not 
horrendous. Yes. Competent. Exactly. At least. Yes. They probably want to make the playoffs by um first by year of time. his new deal. Yeah. They'll probably want to try on his Third final year? year of his ELC. Just house money kind of year, right? Yep. You miss, you miss, but it's worth a shot. Nope. I, I don't think that's that's unreasonable at all. And, and like yeah. I just like I, again, there's just like David Perron's a UFA this upcoming year. Go give David Perron one year by six million dollars in the offseason. Yep. Or seven million dollars if that's what it takes. Seven point five. I don't care. Oh, just outbid for someone. Exactly. Tyler Toffoli is a free agent this year. You know, like Victor Arvidsson. You know, maybe Arvidsson Toffoli wants to be on a better be team, but like, yeah, like, yeah, Arvidsson too. There's, there's just you can find so many names. Even like a Jake DeBrusque. Obviously, you're probably not going to give Jake DeBrusque like eight million or anything like that. But if you go overpay for Jake DeBrusque by a million and a half dollars, like to me, that just makes more sense on a one or two year deal to just give yourself a little more talent on this team. Yep. I I would give Jake DeBrusque $10 million before I would give Nick Foligno four and a half for two years in a vacuum. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I just, I don't really understand it. Again, like I, I get the thought behind it in terms of you really just have to lean into the almost cliches basically of what makes a good team and not sustaining a losing culture, but like losing defines the losing culture. It doesn't really matter how I can tell you as an Ottawa Senators fan, it doesn't really matter how many good guys you have in the room. If your team sucks year over year, you're going to define a losing culture. Yep. Yeah. That's all it ever comes down to. So um, speaking of the Ottawa Senators, they also made a signing uh, this past week. Uh, not a huge, the smallest cap hit you can sign, actually, um, but obviously a big name just because of the circumstances around it. Shane Pinto signs a one-year deal uh, for 725K or whatever the minimum salary is, 775 maybe. Uh, yeah, 775. Um, it's good. I'm excited to see him back. I didn't get to watch him against Philly uh, on Sunday. We were at the Buffalo Bills game, so that was... Uh, I will take that over watching an Ottawa-Philadelphia game any day of the week. Um, I'm excited to have Shane Pinto back uh, as a Sens fan. I think the gambling thing, the Ford obviously he's coming, for anyone who doesn't know, coming off a 41-game suspension for gambling. I've that. been on the record of saying I think it's been, it was handled basically as well as you could ask for by both himself and the team. Like, yes. He said all the right things, you know, like it, he, he didn't try to point fingers or anything like that or say this is like the league's out to get me or anything. He just said, I screwed up. I made a mistake. I need to learn from it and it won't happen again. The team supported him. Even now, like before he came back, his comments were all about how he just felt horrible that he let the team down, Um, which again, like he, he took the, the focus off of what actually happened and just how he's ready to make a difference now. I, I just don't think for what is obviously a stupid mistake, we, we called that at a time, an unfortunate situation. I think it's been as handled as good as it could by the player. And I'm excited to see what he can do going forward. Yeah, I agree with all that. It's in the past. It was stupid. Um, handled as well as you could. Time to move on. 
I'd say the Sens really need them, but I mean, I guess they're kind of cooked now anyways. Yeah, so for anyone who wants to hear a really deep dive into this whole thing, I uh, recorded a podcast last Friday and it spent like 30 minutes on both how Pinto affects the lineup, but also kind of what what to watch as a Sens fan this season, basically. Because as you said, this is already a lost season for the Ottawa Senators. They would have to play at a, I think it was a 34 and eight pace. Not even pace, like they would have to go 34 and eight just to get 94 points. And then they lost the next two games anyways. Yeah. Yeah. So they're just out. Yeah. Um, so oh, now it's up the first overall pick. <laughs> literally, they are going to be a top five pick if things keep going like this. Um, my, the, the guest I had on and myself, we, we kind of talked back and forth about it, but the outcome, and, and I actually love to get your perspective as someone who's, you know, obviously not a fan of the team. The perspective I have it on now is it is all about actually figuring out who you need to keep as a part of this organization and what pieces you feel you can move, as well as building everyone you possibly can up that you think might be moved into the best position possible to boost their value. And what I mean by that is a lot of people really want to see a guy like Thomas Shabbat moved. He is not at the greatest year. Again, he just, I think he's fairly paid, but he hasn't, people thought he would be more than an $8 million defender. And regardless of that, if that was unfair expectations, he has not become that. And that is being disappointing to people. People want to see him move so they can pay Jacob Chikrin instead. I don't totally disagree with paying Jacob Chikrin, but trading a guy like Josh Norris or Thomas Shabbat right now would be trading at them at their absolute lowest value of the last three years. So if you decide you're going to move off of someone like Josh Norris, you need to see how the rest of the roster fits as well as build Josh Norris back up so that you can boost his value if you do decide to make a move like that in the offseason. Yes. Yeah, you can't sell him now. That would be absurd. No, it's... I think at the deadline, they probably sell Tarasenko and Kubalik. Uh, I don't think they'll get much for Kubalik. He's been hot dog shit this year, but he had 20 goals last year, so I'm sure they'll get some kind of pick. Um, I, I think they probably sell Tarasenko. Apparently, he does. he's still liking his time in Ottawa, like his family likes it there. Um, but I think it would be a bit malpractice not to trade him. And then, again, if he really wanted to return next summer, you'll look at what a one-year deal looks like next summer. But um, That'd be a good get, actually. If they could get a third for him or a second or whatever, and then just re-sign him for a year. Yeah, you never really see the actual the re-sign actually happen, but I just Leafs did it when they yep. were tanking. Yep, exactly. Daniel and Winnick, like I think, yeah, and was it Hunwick as well or no? Probably. Or Polak, Polak, Polak. Oh yeah, Polak did it. Right. Yes. Um, but yeah, like even again, even if you don't re-sign him next year, it's like. The thing I'm very excited to see Shane Pinto in this roster is they, for the first time in a long time, have too many centers, which is a great problem to have. They have Tim Stutzla, Josh Norris, Ridley Gregg, and Shane Pinto down the middle. As And none of those guys are going to play 4C. It's going to be someone like Rourke Chardier or uh, Kostelik or even Parker Kelly at, at the fourth line center, right? So... Now you're left with the question of, okay, well, what do we do? I wrote a piece on lastworldonhockey.com last week. You can go check it out right now about why Ridley Gregg deserves more ice time on this team because he has been unreal this season for a rookie. Shane Pinto's not going to be playing on the fourth line. The nat- natural option to me, move one of Pinto or Norris to the wing. I would prefer Norris. 
but I think you can make an argument for Pinto as well. The reason it's one of those two, both of those guys are just shooters, basically. You know, they don't drive play particularly well. They are good at shooting the puck. That is what they do well. Let them not have to focus about the defensive zone. And again, someone like Josh Norris, boost his value by playing him in the top six as just a pure shooter and see how many goals he can get. Yep. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Just make it as easy as he can. Rack up the rack up the goals. Yeah. So we'll see where it goes. Um, I'm like weirdly excited to watch an Ottawa Montreal game tonight. Um, which is, I mean, also because of how uh, it got a bit aggressive at the end of last game. So we'll see if anything actually carries over because they played last Thursday, I believe. But uh, yeah, for how brutally disappointing this season has been. I'm still weirdly excited about a game in January, and it's simply because I want to see... This is as close, if not the ideal lineup, and the first time they have had it all season. Yes. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. Yeah, it is, though. Yep. Um, And, and like, they're they're scratching Travis Hamannick, which is he just, like, icing on the cake of they're playing the actual right players that they need to be playing while they have everyone healthy. And I, I just... I hope that can at least translate into something because that will at least give a little hope of what has been, again, just a absolutely horrendous season for the team. Yes. Yes. It would be nice to have something to hope for. Exactly. Um, all right. Let's move on to some other news. Some surprising news, I would say. Uh, the New York Islanders have hired Patrick Waugh as their new head coach. That was really surprising. You could have given me a million guesses, and I wouldn't have gotten this one. I don't know if he was on the staff, and I just haven't been paying enough he attention. He was not. But I, yeah, I saw it, and I was like, what is going on? This is surprising to me for a couple of reasons. So the first is just – that's not the guy I was expecting. Like his, He was a name that was uh, floated out this offseason um, for like a DJ Smith replacement, and I wasn't totally against it, mostly because – there's been a lot of pieces. Obviously, when he left, it was um, very poorly, you know, leaving Colorado like weeks before the season, putting them really in a bad spot, um, you know. Uh, yeah, and, and the teams he did coach in Colorado, he, they had that good one year that was on just an absolute PDO bender, and then the team kind of sucked after that. I don't think that was totally on him, as well as the roster just wasn't that great. Um, but he went back to junior. Like, there's been a lot of... Uh, um, not a lot, but there has been pieces done about what he's changed since. And, and it's clear that he wanted to get back into the NHL. I was more surprised about this and maybe I shouldn't because of Lou Lamorello being Lou Lamorello, but I was more surprised because I did not peg the Islanders as someone thinking that they're having a disappointing season. I do. They thought they're good. So I guess that that's where it comes from because I didn't think they were good. So for them to be right on the playoff bubble with 51 points in 46 games, and I, I guess it would have been uh, 49 in, in 45 or something like that before this move. To me, that's exactly where I would have expected them. But yes, if they think that they should have been better and in a playoff spot comfortably, knowing Lou Lamorello, this move doesn't really surprise me. Yes. Yeah, I, I think they have always kind of thought they were better than the outside did. Yes, and for a couple of years there, you can make an argument that was more than fair. This year, I think they're overperforming maybe even where they should be. Again, like, they're 29th in Corsi 4 percentage and 24th in expected goals percentage at 5-on-5. Five five. 
Yeah, and I know Jfresh has tweeted about this. Apparently, via private data, they are like historically bad defensively. And Sorokin is just propping it up. Which isn't the most unreasonable thing in the world, right? Like, Yeah, and it would totally explain the fact that Sorokin, who's been comfortably elite his entire time in the NHL, has a 9-10 right now. Yeah, I, I it, like it, it makes total sense. And and that's why I'm curious to see what this coaching move does. Like, I, I think Waugh's going to be in tough here because this roster is just the definition of mid. Yep. Like, and, and we've said, I, I like, I feel bad because we've said that for so many years, but they just keep adding players that they have Kyle Palmieri signed for two years, $5 million. Gabriel, uh, John Gabriel Pajot still has two more years after this at $5 million. Pierre Engvall has like seven years at $3 million. Even Semon Varlamov has three more years at $2.75 million after this. Yeah, I I don't know what a good coach does in the squad. And like, I'm sure there are people, Islanders fans will tell you like, oh, but we were good recently. It's like, well, yeah, but the logical consequences of a team this old is that it gets a lot harder to be good really quickly. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be very curious to see what they do this offseason as well, because Ilya Sorokin's extension kicks in next year. So he goes from $4 million this year to $8.25 million next year. So that's basically the cap jump right there, if you want to um, account it for that, right? And then they also have to figure out what they're doing with Oliver Wallstrom, who's an RFA, uh, and they just... The only UFAs they have is Cal Clutterbuck and Matt Martin with 1.75 and 1.5 each, Mike Riley with $1 million. But they also currently have Ryan Pulak on LTIR, so I don't know how that's affecting things. Like, they are going to be, again, kind of tight to the cap, and this roster is just keeps aging a year and year older. Like, th- their whole roster is basically just late 20s, early 30s, or late 30s. Yeah. Yeah, like, there's... There's no one in the system I can think of that's going to immediately be helpful either. Like they just kind of are exactly who we think they are. Yeah. Um. It, it's always hard to tell how like coaching changes are going to work because I, I do. I guess the one thing I will say is if Patrick Wall can come in here and help the team defensively, and I, I don't know. Like I don't know if they're. Them, them being that poor defensively is just a roster issue. If it's a coaching issue, if it's a bit of both, neither would really surprise me. Yeah, it's probably a mix of all the things. And I think there's reason to assume it would be more on coaching than anything, given this team was like amazing defensively recently, which as much as they've atrophied, like I don't expect this roster to be a miserable group of defensively talented players. But what would scare me is, the Avalanche were miserable defensively was entire time they were there, I'm pretty sure. They were like a 45% Corsi team at best. Yeah, and like, even with the defense of, all well, that roster wasn't good, this roster isn't very good either. Yeah, also that Waugh roster, well, age was going the other direction. Mm-hmm. Got really good really quick when he left. Yeah, they had the one absolutely miserable year when he bailed two weeks before yep. the season. Which and then you kind of put the team in a huge position to fail by doing that. You don't. You don't exactly. Right 
and then immediately made the playoffs, either upset Calgary that year or took them to like a game seven, won around the next year when they weren't supposed to, and then immediately became a team that's like, oh, they might win the cup soon. And then won the cup like three years later or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't... I don't feel super strongly one way or the other about it. Like I, I can't say that I think it's the wrong move by any means, but um, I just, it, it goes back to something I feel like we've said forever about the New York Islanders of, I just don't really know what they're expecting out of this. And if they truly feel they're a playoff team, I just feel like that's a little misguided. They have a minus 20 goal differential. Minus, yeah, that's tough. They have Even 20 if they wins. might be able do it eventually like you're just gonna be able to overcome that in the shorter run yeah they have three more wins than the ottawa senators in and they also have four extra games played wow but they are right but they're 16 points above the ottawa senators because they have 11 loser points all the loser points in the world baby I, yeah, it. this is probably a larger conversation of what is the goal with this team because, you know, we, we've been critical on them basically the entire time we've done this podcast, if we're being honest. But yep. Yeah, we've always at, been lower than market on them. Exactly. But at least like two years, three years ago, like two years ago, oddly enough, was the one year we were okay, like kind of high on them. But like three and four years ago, at least they could say like we had a team that made the conference final. And yeah, they kind of got wrecked in that conference final but making the conference final is absolutely not nothing right like that's a win no matter what happened in the conference final exactly and the fact that you're there means you you gave yourself a shot there's just no possible way this team's making the conference final no even in a year where the eastern like the eastern conference has been way worse than people would have expected yeah this is best case scenario for trying to make playoffs in the East. Mm-hmm. Like the hurricanes are bouncing back now, but you know, they've had issues all year. The devils are bounce starting to bounce back, but they've had issues all year and are nowhere near as good as, as they thought the penguins have been an absolute disaster. Um, the, all of the senators and sabers and even, you know, the red wings uh, are coming back to earth, but senators and sabers have been a disaster. The lightning haven't been good at all. Like you couldn't have asked for a better situation. And, they're still on the outside looking in. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You have this many things go right. You're there's really nothing else you could say. No, like. Yeah, I, I just I, again, it, it's one of those things where I, I'm not shocked that they're still going for it because their GM is like a billion years old. Yeah, they basically have to go for it too. Like, even if they just brought in somebody younger than Kyle Dubas or whatever, but like you still don't really have a choice. That's the thing is there's not really much tearing this roster down. Like they're in a tough spot right now because yeah, even if you say, okay, like we're not good enough. We need to rebuild. I'll name you some contracts. You tell me if you're going to be able to move them. Start easy. Matthew Barzell, six more years at 9.15. That one you could move. Um, very confidently. Uh, maybe it's seven more years, but still, like anyone, that would be a thing where you get legitimate assets for because he's 26. He's on, you know, a, a fair contract. One of the few players that's like, yes, this makes sense. Bo yep. Horvat, 
Seven more years after this one at $8.5 million. He is 28 years old right now. You're probably not moving that, but maybe. You're not getting much of an asset, I think, if you are moving that. Yeah, yeah, you can get out from under it if you sell it. From- he also has a full no trade clause, so you need to convince him to go. Yeah. Which is Anders, tough. exactly. Anders Lee, two more years after this one at $7 million. He's 33 years old. Also a full no trade clause and the captain of the team. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're not. Brock Nelson, one more year at $6 million. Modified no trade clause. No. One more year, maybe, but probably not. If you retain, maybe you could. Yeah, you're, and you could probably even get that set back if you're. Yeah. John Gabriel Peugeot, two more years after this one, $5 million. Probably not. I'm going to go with probably not as well, unless again, maybe if you retain as well, but there's only so many slots that you can actually retain. Yeah. But like Pajot is at his best. He was a good three C for a cup team. Yep. And you know, maybe he's still that, but like, I don't know. The floor. Yeah. Kyle Palmieri, one more year after this one at $5 million. I'm going to say I probably it. not. May, maybe next year you could get something at the deadline. Again, retain maybe, but there's one guy that you absolutely can. About three or four that you probably can't, maybe if you retain, which you can't on all four of them, and just one that you're not going to be able to move. Yeah. And then you get to Pierre Engvall, a billion more years at $3 million. You're not moving that. Adam Pellick, you might be able to move Adam Pellick. Uh, but he has he has a full no trade clause. Uh, yeah, not I don't actually anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I would assume. Uh, actually, okay, never mind. It starts on uh, July first, twenty twenty five. So you could move Pelic then. Yes. Yeah. I'll comfort it. Yeah. Oh, oh, sure. Case. Okay, so, nope. Sorry, I have this backwards. It's a no trade clause until July first, twenty twenty five. Then it becomes a sixteen team no trade list. But um, I, I think if you were yeah. trying to move Pelic to like a contender, you could probably move him. But. Um, I think Pellick might be easier to move than Barzell if they both had the same double points. I kind hmm, that's an interesting question. He is cheaper. Much cheaper, which is why yes. I say that. Yeah. And people are always looking for defensemen. Defense. If he played the right side, I would completely agree. Yeah. But. Left makes me a little hesitant, but he's got that defensive value the name brand all that stuff maybe i would like to walk that back a little bit before i think about it but it's probably closer than most people would guess he's you could easily move him if you chose i i think it's fair to say yeah um he he does have like seven more years on his contract which might limit the uh opportunity a bit but um or six more years i guess i should say but still yeah um noah dobson's probably a guy they don't want to move um, but he has one more year at $4 million. You could move that if you wanted to fully tear this thing down, which I don't think it would be unreasonable to do. I just don't think they would sell on someone like that. Yeah, I agree with that. Scott Mayfield has seven more years after this one at $3.5 million. Not moving that. Nope, not even uh, close. Romanov has one more year at two point five. You could move that. I'm not sure how big of an asset you'd get for that, though. Mm, yeah, that's tough. And then you have Sorokin, obviously, eight more years starting next year at 
you could probably trade him if you wanted, but again, I, they're not going to trade a guy before his contract kicks in. I just, there's no way they're going to do that. Has anyone ever done that? I'm, there's probably got to be at least one, but I can't think of any. Yeah. It seems like a 90s thing to do, but. Yeah, I'm sure it has happened eventually. Yeah, but I don't know if, if it's ever happened in the cap era, to be honest. Um, and then, again, like, even someone like Varlamov, the thing that frustrates me so much about this team is like six teams in the league would kill for Varlamov in net right now. But not at three more years after this one. No, not at all. Not even close. And like, I don't even know if he's been good this year, but like, he's not, not yeah, he's got a 918 this year in 14 games. You're telling me the Carolina Hurricanes or the New Jersey Devils or the Toronto Maple Leafs wouldn't be like, Absolutely, we'll give up a probably a pretty good asset to get that guy in the net. Oh, it'd be worth it too. Exactly. But again, you've just hamstrung yourself. And and I get maybe Varlamov wanted to stay in in uh New York or whatever, but he's got a full no trade clause. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah. And then Ryan Pulak, who's on LTIR, um, but like six more years at 6.15. So like yeah, I just don't really see the way out of it right now. And and that would be assuming that they actually did want to move out of it, which we know they don't. Yeah, yeah, they have no intention of doing that. No. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if anything changes. I kind of don't think so, but I mean, crazier things have happened. So, well, you never know. Um, before yeah, we move on, sport, sports betting has rapidly risen in popularity. And we want to connect you all with an opportunity to get started or get ahead. Having multiple sportsbook accounts is the most simple way to maximize your profits, and there's never been a better time to sign up. When you visit our page, signupexpert.com slash MNM, you'll be connected to all the sportsbooks in your region, along with a review of each platform and its unique benefits. All of these sportsbooks have valuable sign-up offers for new users, and when you register through our link, you will automatically receive the top offer at each one. When you use multiple sportsbooks, you ensure that you always access the best available odds, which is key to successful sports betting. Uh, if you want to take advantage of these benefits and support our podcast and brand, please consider signing up for your next sportsbook at signupexpert.com slash MNM. All right. Uh, last big piece of news for the week is uh, another small cap hit signing, um, but obviously Another thing where the narrative around it makes it way more interesting, Corey Perry signs a one-year deal with the Edmonton Oilers 775K cap hit, uh, which can get up to $1.1 million in bonus incentives. Uh, one of the bonuses is simply 10 games played. Um, and then, hold on, 225K if he plays 10 games, 50 extra K if Edmonton wins the second round of the playoffs and Perry plays in 50% of those games. Uh, and then another 50K if they win in the third round of the playoffs and he plays in 50 of those games, 50% of those games as well. Um, pretty standard contract. So it, it's basically a um, $1 million contract uh, because it seems pretty, pretty likely they are going to give him 10 games to try and figure, figure it out. Um, there's a lot to break down on this in terms of there's purely the on-ice perspective in which I don't think it's a hot take to say this feels like a low enough upside with basically no risk purely on the ice. Yep. But then there's obviously the off-ice perspective where 
it's difficult to talk about because we just don't have any details of what happened. Yeah, what do you what do you say? Exactly. And I go I've I've gone back and forth on this week this week. I, I'd be curious to hear your opinion because on one hand, I think just naturally we're always, or at least sorry, I will always be kind of skeptical when NHL players get second chances or whatever from the teams and they say, we did our due diligence, which due diligence was thrown around a lot this week. And we, we looked into it. We talked to all these people. We did our, our work because every team who signs a problem player is going to do that. You know, the Boston Bruins tried saying that when they signed uh, uh, Mitchell Miller and then immediately caught him a day later. Yep. Yeah, I, I don't really. But I'm. With you, just I'm just naturally skeptical. I guess that the due diligence thing is probably the best way to say it. But on the other hand, Corey Perry's presser, I thought was pretty reasonable. Like, obviously, didn't talk about anything that happened in Chicago, nor would I expect him to. Um, but again, like, it, it didn't really seem like there was any fight of his contract actually being terminated. He said, you know, he, he's worked on being a better person since the incident. Owned up to it again. Um, and I, I think he even mentioned like mental health and, and talked about that a little bit. So from that perspective, it's like, again, that's about as good as you can ask for given the situation. Yep. It's yeah. Given the situation, it's everything. Can possibly say. So then it, it just kind of boils down to. If you think it's necessary in terms of. You know, like with such little details, should someone like that get a second chance? I, I don't personally have a strong opinion one way or the other. It doesn't see, like, obviously I think the thing that makes this different from maybe other cases that we've seen of like NHL teams trying to give guys a second chance. It doesn't seem like this was a legal issue with Corey Perry. You know, like there was no risk of jail time or, or an, an investigation of legality that had to go into it. It was just obviously a, a breach of conduct, whatever that means. So I think that makes things a little different. Yeah, it's so tough. Like, without knowing anything else, I don't even know how to begin, like, thinking about it. Yeah, and it's just, it's also one of those things where it's like, I just can't give NHL teams or players the benefit of the doubt with all the scandals and stuff, especially... Like as I know it's a lot of new regime and it's not the same people as it was again, but the Chicago Blackhawks organization of all all places were gonna get the benefit of the doubt of being intentionally vague about a situation. Yeah, like that's Yeah, I don't know. I don't there's not a great reason to just assume everybody's being fully transparent when they have a lot to gain by sweeping it under the rug. Yeah, exactly. And so I don't know. I, I just, and then I guess the other part of this contract is, uh, and, and I, I kind of don't buy into this one as much. This team's on a 13 game heater. And yeah, they're I, fucking rolling. They are motoring. They are right back into the playoff, not even just the playoff race. Like the division race is almost in sight if, depending on how, uh, how much you actually buy into what Vancouver's doing and if it's legit or not. Like Vancouver's still got a very large lead on them, but um, you know, like they home ice is in sight. They have 
seven less points than the Vegas Golden Knights and five less games played. That's insane. Five fewer games. So they're on a 13-game heater. Even if they go three and two, which over the last 13 games would be a disappointment, but even if they go three and two in those five like games to make up the, the difference or whatever, boom, they're six or seven points. They're now one point behind the Vegas Golden Knights in the same game as that. Yep, done. And I'm pretty sure they have the Sharks and the Blackhawks coming up as well. Let me just take a quick peek at this. Yeah, they do. They have Sharks, Blackhawks, Predators, Vegas. Columbus, Chicago, Nashville, and then the Golden Knights, Anaheim, and then LA Red Wings, but like St. Louis. like, And Vegas would be the tying the record, right? Yes, Vegas would be the tying record. Yeah, so that's the other thing is 17 games is the uh, league record. Obviously, they're at 13. Uh, they did set the most uh, consecutive wins by a Canadian team ever, which even that is crazy to believe that like the 80s Oilers never did that. Yep, the fact that they're breaking the own oil, the, the Oilers specifically haven't done it, I found wild. Or like you're telling me one of like the Dynasty Habs teams never did that? Yep. Just absurd um but yeah just like speaks volumes to the the heater they're on i you know i obviously don't watch the team in depth enough to know how much credit this goes to i I do think it is funny one thing we said when they made the coaching change and got rid of jay woodcroft is simply the goalies playing better and Connor mcdavid not being 25 percent of his normal self is going to give this coach a lot of credit and that is paying off right now yeah, that's all I'm, you needed. I don't know yep. if there's been tactical changes, to be perfectly honest, but... I'm sure there have been cover. some, yep. but Connor McDavid alone, just going back to what Connor McDavid has looked like for the past six years or whatever, is more important than any tactical change that he made. Yep, and going from goaltending that starts with an eight to good goaltending. Exactly. And I, I wish I thought about this be, uh, before we started, but what I'm going to try and do real quick is just pull up their uh, before and after splits of the season of uh, defensive numbers just to see if there has been, you know, an aggressive dis- uh, difference or not. But um, yeah, like, again, I just uh, credit to like the team in general for, for turning it around. And obviously the coach has to play some part in that, which is great. Um, and honestly, since Jay Woodcroft has been fired, they have given up the third fewest uh, shot attempts against per 60 minutes uh, in the league and the fifth fewest, sixth fewest uh, expected goals against per 60 at five on five as well. So, like, that is legitimately good. Um, they were pretty good by XG before, too, though, weren't they? They, they were. They, they were a very, uh, like, again, everything pointed to, like, they were probably more unlucky than anything else. I'm just yeah. pulling up uh, what they were before. Uh, Corsi against, they were second least in the league. Yeah, okay. So, like, Corsi against, they gave up the second fewest chances in the league, and expected goals against, they gave up the eighth fewest. So, exactly roughly the same. Yeah, we don't have enough public data to say anything other than that's functionally the same. Yeah. Um, so again, like I'm sure there are probably little tweaks and even just maybe a new voice got it. But the biggest thing is, as you said, the goaltending not being absolutely atrocious. 
And then Connor McDavid being back on pace for like 150 points over 82 games. If you took whatever stretch of 30 games he's on. Yeah. Simple as that. Um, Done. And it, it suddenly becomes very clear why everyone had this team as like the, the odds on favorite to win the cup at the start of the year. Um, I thought it was a little ridiculous how many people were picking them to like go to the finals and stuff like that. But just because, you know, like if, if 17 out of 20 analysts pick them to make the finals, okay, the, the betting markets don't reflect that either. You know, that, that's a little aggressive, but like they're showing why. And even, you know, we were very high on this team in the preseason as well. This is the best roster that has been around Connor McDavid and maybe ever. Probably ever. I, I might not even be close. I'm trying to think because there's been no other time where the depth has actually been like this competent. Yeah, if it was, you. what's the closest competition last year's team? Probably, yep. Um, and the next closest competition is probably the year before that. Yep, and ignoring even the depth part of it, Zach Hyman has turned into a legitimate elite player this year. He's elite, apparently. Yeah, why not? <laughs> and, like, I, we were talking about this off offline, but, like, goals above expect or goals above um, uh, replacement, sorry, he's been absolutely amazing. But even just watching him, it's like, who is this player? Like, he had the one goal against the Leafs that got called back where he, like, goes blue line to blue line, dangles through a defenseman, and goes up top. It's like, what are we doing here? What is happening here? Yeah. Um, so that obviously helps as well. Like again, Evander Kane, you know, is playing up and down the lineup. You know, he, he's had some struggles this year as well, but like if even a struggling Evander Kane is on your third line, that is miles better than what they had at any point before this. Yeah. Yeah. It's not even close. So getting back to the original point of how does Corey Perry affect this? I, I think people maybe buy in a little too much to like the, He's going to make the dressing room dysfunctional or whatever. Like bringing in any new guy is a bad thing. It's like, okay, that that seems a little unnecessary, but like. The thing is, people learn that for the wrong reason. People have correctly identified that the team's probably going to get worse when they sign Perry, but that has nothing to do with Perry. It's just you sign a guy on a 13-game winning streak. It's just going to happen. There's no other way around that. They could sign Austin Matthews to league men and they would get worse. Yes, exactly. Right. And um, so that's the thing is like. If they lose tonight, it's not going to be because Corey Perry is suddenly on the team. Yeah. Um, which, again, if we're focusing on just the on ice perspective. Signing a guy like Corey Perry to a 775K or one million dollar deal seems very reasonable, even if, you know, he's your 12th forward or 13th forward on the team. It just gives yep. you another option. Yep. So. uh yeah, like th- this team looks primed to make another run. Uh, I- I'm very curious to see just how high they can get up the standings. Um, like, can they catch Vegas? Can they even dare to try and catch someone like Vancouver who's got like a 15-point lead on them? But like Demko is playing out of his mind right now in Vancouver as well. Like, I- I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm still not really sold that Vancouver is this great team that everyone's giving them credit for. No, they have a one-on-five PEO. Yeah, like they I, I, they they just feel like they. I don't know why we keep doing this. They feel like the classic team that obviously has a a good amount of high end talent. They have a number one defenseman, a number one center, and a number one goalie, at, who are all like, what top seven to ten at their position. Yep. 
maybe five, even the way they're playing this year specifically. Mm -hmm. That's a great starting point to have, but they're shooting like, I think they're all situation shooting percentages, like over 12% or like 12% or something like that. And league average is like seven and a half. Yeah. It's It's not real. It just can't be real. Yep. Exactly. And maybe it is real for a bulk of this season, which in, in, in that case, fine. And like, I don't blame any Vancouver Canucks fan for enjoying this because this is so much better than just being the 18th best team in the league or whatever, right? But yep. um, yeah, I'll, I'll be curious to see if Edmonton can can try and make it interesting or, or not. Um, so that is all I really have on Edmonton. Do you have anything else you wanted to to hit on? I got nothing else. Okay. Um, I mean, let's we, we got a couple minutes here. Let's maybe talk about just the the Ryan Reeves thing because there are a few things I want to hit on with this. Um. Ryan Reeves has made some comments, obviously. Uh, He's been on injured reserve with the Toronto Maple Leafs. It sounds like he has been healthy for a little while now, but they're keeping him on IR because they just don't have the space or the roster limit, really, to to, um, take him off, it sounds like. And and they're claiming he's still hurt, but he kind of went, no, I'm healthy. Very curious to see how this whole situation develops because, and if it becomes like a player issue in terms of, keeping a guy on IR when he's not actually hurt for the cap space or anything, or like for the uh, just relief or anything like that. But um, the bigger thing I want to talk about with Ryan Reeves is I don't think this contract took enough flack in the summer. No, it probably didn't. This was one of the dumber contracts we've seen in like recent memory, I think. Agreed. Not and like in terms of how disaster it could be, it just was so unnecessary from the beginning. It, it's kind of a microcosm of Brad Treliving's entire summer, in my opinion, in that this one move isn't going to kill a team, but every move he made this summer just limited their options so much with not that much upside to be had. Yep. Like Yeah, it was just so unnecessary. The Ryan Reeves one is obviously the worst of the bunch. I'm not really going to blame him for Samsonov. I thought that was a fine move. In fact, I thought it was a good move not to give him any term, just in case something like that happened. So, you know, but like the Samsonov move has blown up in his face regardless. David Camp for four years at 2.1 or $2.4 million or whatever already just looks like an unnecessary deal. Uh, John Klingberg, especially given that they had his injury history and all the knowledge that his hip might absolutely be cooked. Giving him that money just seems so unnecessary. Um, I still like the Bertuzzi deal. I think Bertuzzi has been really unlucky, if anything, this year. And I think the Domi one's reasonable as well. But, like, you're swinging, I would say, 0 for 5 on the free agent signings you made. And maybe two of them you can say are, like, sack bunts or something like that. Like, yeah. Yeah, and if that's as good as it gets, that's a pretty tough saw to be in. A hundred percent. And, and again, like the biggest issue I have is that it was very obvious. This team was going to need to squeeze every dollar out of the lineup that they possibly could. We just, that that's how the Leafs operate. We know that's their situation. Given the top of the line contracts that they have signed, you cannot be going to sign Ryan Reeves for anything over the variable amount. Yep. Yeah. It's just completely unneeded for a guy that very obviously can't play at the NHL level. Night in, night out. Exactly. Like at his peak, he was a replacement level fourth liner. Yeah, he just is who he is. There's no surprise. 
And then like the fact that they gave him three years is just the most, one of the most absurd, like minor things I've ever seen in a long time. Yeah. That's just a completely unforced error with essentially no upside. Yep. Um, yeah. I don't really have any more to take on that other than <laughs> there are a lot of people getting mad at oh, classic Toronto, you know, circumventing the cap or whatever. It's just like, man, like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm lots of teams do this. Um, yeah. Yeah, this isn't a Toronto-specific thing. No, like, people were pissed at Tampa for doing it, obviously with a way better player that they would have loved to have in their lineup a couple years ago, so. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. But yeah, like, I, I don't know. I, I saw quotes of, like, I don't really know how this gets resolved. It's like, well, it's pretty easy. You're going to have a 450K cap hit because you're going to have to bury him in the minors. Yep, yeah, you just eat the space. Yep. Flex suck, done. Exactly, Hope someone takes them, but I, I just don't see how anyone purposely trades for that contract. Yeah, me neither. So, um, okay. I think that's a good place to wrap up. Uh, do you have anything that uh, people should check out this week? We do, I think. I don't know if I'll be done it this week, but I have an article about why me and a bunch of people's intuitions were wrong about team quality and player scoring. Awesome. So keep an eye out for that at EliteProspects.com. Uh, you can find all my stuff at LastWordOnHockey.com. Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66. Myself at NHL Sends and Stuff. And the podcast at Eminem Hockey Pod. Uh, thank you everyone so much for listening. And we will talk to you all next week.